does money always talk? We don't actually have enough of it to tell you, but we're going to talk about it anyway this week on Iceman and Coach. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Iceman and Coach. This is the Iceman, Matt Frage. That is the coach, Brad Powell. Brad, how you doing, buddy? Iceman, um, I'm doing fantastic. It's been a good week or so of 8U softball. Since we last spoke, we have won three straight. Um, we threw out a blowout last night, a 16-2 to two victory Mercy um, over our opponents. Yeah. And so what's interesting is they only allow four runs per inning until the fifth inning. That's an open inning. Um, so no, the girls played well. I'm having a blast. And uh, so much so as I've communicated to you offline, um, my wife goes to nursing clinicals this weekend in Milwaukee. We plan on making a family trip. This is the trip that was supposed to come out your direction uh, a couple weeks from now that got changed. And my daughter, her little team has one tournament and it happens to be this weekend. And, you know, this is her first time playing at a level where they have, actually have a tournament. And so she was really bummed out that she was going to miss the tournament. And, and I was too, but I just kind of kept it under wraps because, you know, it's not about me. And <laughs> I started talking to my wife. I'm like, you know, like, we probably figure it out. If she really wants to play, we could probably figure it out. We'll just come up Sunday after the tournament's over. And so we talked to her a little bit and, like, presented it as a possibility. And she, like, hook, line, and sinker right away. It was all in. So... Um, that's really exciting. You know, she gets to, we play tomorrow night and then Saturday and Sunday, she gets to play in a little tournament. And, uh, it was funny because last night she's like, we're in the kitchen and she's like, I really want to go to my tournament this weekend because, you know, I think I can help the team win. <laughs> and it's just, it's just so sweet. You know, I just love it. I love her little competitive spirit because I haven't, it, it's really like blossoming. You know, I haven't seen it a lot uh, up to this point in anything else she's done. So that's really awesome. Um, other than that, man, just, Freaking happy and pumped to be back here doing what we do, my man. Absolutely. And we've been having a lot of fun. And I will say on the on the dad front that this weekend is Father's Day. So I'm actually taking a trip up north to see my folks. I haven't seen my dad in a couple of years. It's been almost two years and I'm taking my son James to go see him. Definitely looking forward to that. But I will say I'm going to miss sort of being around the family on Father's Day because I know that the meaning of that day has sort of shifted for me. Now having a kid, you sort of get a deeper appreciation, I think, of what it means, especially when you have kids that sort of look up to you and are at the age that our kids are at where they're looking up to you. And it's going to be fun to sort of have three different generations. I don't really know how much my dad will appreciate it in the moment, but I know that when I look back on it, it'll be a good thing. And it's very similar to the softball thing. But as on the softball front, you and I made some headlines last week in our talk about Oklahoma. And it sounds like to me that Riley's on a team that is kind of starting down that path. And it's not a coincidence, man, that you're the coach. You know everything there is to know about that sport, and you are teaching her the finer nuances of the game of softball. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about that. We don't ever practice. So we had like a couple practices before the season started, but we played two games a week. And yeah, sure, there's room in there for practice. But I think also the head coach realizes that we're all we have busy lives right now. This is 8U softball. It's not too crazy. So the they show up and play the game, you know? So a lot of the stuff that they've improved upon has been just naturally through competition. And, you know, of course, you know, Riley, when we come home, you know, she's always asking to play catch, hit the ball, stuff like that. And, and I really, I mean, I give her pointers, but I try to keep it 
simple. I, I don't want this, you know, she's got a long way to go. So I don't want this to turn into something that feels like work for her at this point. But we actually took a, a, a little time the other night and she was asking if there were any softball videos that she could watch. And I said, I got just a thing for you and pulled up the Oklahoma women playing in the College World Series, the final against Florida State. And as her eyes lit up just at like the intensity and the speed of the game, just the passion that they play with. And we talked about that. It's incredible. And it, it's funny to kind of see, you know, to kind of juxtapose those two worlds over each other to where like I'm watching basically the seeds be planted in real life of what turns into that. And, and it's kind of cool to see both ends of the spectrum, you know, the beginning and the end, so to say, uh, of how that goes, which is, is super cool. It's always funny whenever a team like Oklahoma gets sort of discovered on a national level. And I guess you and I, to an extent, sort of are in that camp about discovering them, but just their dominance has been unprecedented in so many ways. And you're right, it does start early. A lot of that competitive spirit starts usually with a familiar relationship, right? Like you don't just wake up and decide that you're gonna play softball and you're gonna be great at softball. It takes a lot of work, but I do wanna say something. Don't you remember what Allen Iverson said? Practice, talking practice. He was one of the greats and he didn't practice. So I don't think Riley has to practice either. She's just gonna continue to ascend and be great. But I wanna move on to something that has happened recently and it's the end of what is probably the biggest sports stories of this time frame, and I think we are 100% now firmly in the dog days of summer as it relates to sports because both the NBA Finals and Stanley Cup Final are over. And that means we will not have a sports championship in major sports in this country until what, October? So it's gonna be a while. But I do wanna bring this up for two reasons. Number one, both of those plucky Miami teams are gone. Number eight seeds getting to their finals and being unceremoniously ousted both four games to one doesn't take away or diminish the runs that they had. They just came up against the team finally that was superior. But I wanna say something about the NBA Finals because Nikola Jokic wins the NBA Finals MVP as he should have, should have been the MVP of the league this year. The guy is just, is amazing. And he wins the NBA Finals, finally cements his legacy because that's what we talked about. It takes that sometimes. And he was asked afterward whether he was looking forward to celebrating this. And basically his answer was, you know, I'm just ready to go home. And I wanna ask you, do you or do you think fans want their superstars to care more or does it not matter because they brought home the trophy? Um, fans want their superstars to care more, which I think is an unrealistic expectation. And I think also older fans have been spoiled in a way by the Michael Jordans of the world, the Kobe Bryants, uh, those people that really, I mean, it was their identity. They lived for competing and lived for the game and, it, you know, just it was all about mastering their craft and dominating their opponents where the modern athlete i think is a little more worldly in a way that they they value more than just the game and i think this this may be unique in some ways to foreign players and it's kind of funny to harken back to the tall boy radio episode where we talked about players playing for their national teams it's almost opposite right i think that here in the us we're used to players really valuing uh, their professional teams, because that's where they get paid, um, and and oftentimes bypassing an opportunity to play for the national team, whether it be in the Olympics or any other world competition. And overseas, it's more about national pride, and the best players always choose to play for their national team, uh, just simply because of that pride uh, for country. And I think they maybe more so than the Americans look at, you know, I'm sure that Jokic looks at basketball as 
a job. It's a job. Like he's playing here probably simply because it pays the best money. Uh, they can put his family in a good position. And so it's kind of an instance where he values family over maybe whatever the expectation is of fans or an organization. And I'm sure that he's very happy they won the championship because I'm sure he's a competitive guy. But at the end of the day, he just wants to go home and be, and be with his family. You could almost argue that maybe as much as we talk about pride here in this country, that foreign players might have their priorities a little more straight, you know, like you know, national pride and dedication to family to where, you know, there's plenty of stories we can go through where, you know, American superstars maybe aren't the quintessential family man in some cases and put uh, their own personal persona and ego ahead of literally everything else. And uh, I just think it's interesting contrast. I mean, we talked about that with Tom Brady all year, right? Like the whole narrative following Tom Brady was whether he was decimating his family by staying on for one more season. And Jokic throughout this entirety of the, the playoffs has been a family man. I mean, his daughter was there. His wife was there. His brothers were there. And really, that's who he was celebrating with the most. He didn't want to hold the finals MVP trophy. He held his daughter instead. And I think you're right. I think the American professional athlete, I think in general terms, most people see them as me first. And I'm not saying that every single one of them is me first, but I think that there is a general perception that because in professional sports, you need to go out and get your bag, right? That generational wealth. And how do you do that? Well, you try to find yourself in as many positive situations as possible and cash in on the investment that the team is making in you. And Jokic now, I feel like it wouldn't surprise me at all if he just walked away from the game, right? He's a finals MVP, finals winner. He's won two MVPs. And what else does he have to prove now? Like he doesn't have, it doesn't seem that competitive spirit. He's almost out there because it means more to him to be there for his teammates than it does anything else. And I just found it so refreshing to see him dominate, right? Like this guy is dominating the league in a way that nobody has seen in a very long time. And he probably cares the least in terms of what we expect from our superstars. But yet the things he cares about are what we all value most or what we should value most. I know that's what we value most. Like seeing a guy that loves his family so much that they are such a part of his journey, that warms my heart. And I'm going to root for that guy until he gives me a reason not to. I agree. And I think another thing that people lose sight of and forget about um, in this in our country as a whole is that life in other countries, a lot of other countries, is not the same as it is here. Um, even some of the worst cases that we're aware of here in the, in the United States would be an improvement in a lot of other countries as far as a standard of living. And, you know, a lot of these countries, you know, Eastern European countries, stuff like that. I mean, these are war-torn countries that were decimated by the Cold War and everything. I mean, we could go on and on through history and different conflicts and things that have led to the economic strife that these people have dealt with. This, while it's great, and I'm sure he has, he's enjoyed it, this is not something like this isn't it's not a life-changing moment for him, right? I mean, this guy has, has probably been through some serious stuff throughout his life, real life shit. And this compared to that is like, hey, this is cool, but this ain't everything, man. Like, uh, this is not what really matters at the end of the day. And I do think that probably pisses off some you know, of your typical American sports fans. But like you said, man, I love it. I'm here for it. I respect it. it it's a little weird because we all, I think we, as Americans, we all value sports I think way more than a lot of other other places do. Why that is, I mean, I don't know. I think it's a great form of entertainment. Uh, sports is, is a really nice comparison analogy. It'll, there's a lot of parallels with real life as far as working hard and accomplishing things. But those family values, national pride, 
and really caring about the things that mean the most, I, I'll respect that all day. Yeah, I love it. And honestly, I think the what makes his story even better, I'm not sure if you know this, this was my stat of the week a couple of weeks ago. He was drafted in the second round of the NBA draft. And when they announced his pick, the, the broadcast was on a Taco Bell commercial. Like that's how much they thought of him at the time. And now he's possibly going to be one of the greatest players of all time. And after winning a championship, you cement your legacy. That's it. You're a champion. Nobody can take that away from you. What will be interesting is in two years, if we are having the same conversation about him that we had about Giannis a few months ago about how he lost in the first round and they asked him if it was a failure and he had just won a championship two years prior. So we'll see about that. The Stanley Cup has been awarded and the Vegas Golden Knights took out the Florida Panthers. I know we were rooting for the Panthers, but even I coming into this series thought that Vegas was a better team. And Vegas did the thing that you talked about last week. When we talked about Oklahoma softball, you said that dominant teams need to go out and they need to establish that dominance early. Vegas, having this opponent that had come back from a 3-1 to series deficit against the Boston Bruins earlier in these playoffs, knew that they had to win this game. And they did so in the kind of coach-like fashion by scoring nine goals in a clinching game. I know you got to love that stuff. Yeah, when I saw that score, I mean, I'll admit it right here, right? I didn't watch the game. And uh, I know that's kind of taboo being a sports podcast guy, but family first, right? Anyways, yeah, dominant fashion. I was shocked when I saw that score. And then, you know, as you mentioned, you know, you got to go out there and, you know, put your foot on their throats right out of the gate because hope is the secret ingredient that fuels underdogs. The second you give one of those teams, especially an underdog team that's gotten some momentum, you give them hope and they become dangerous at that point in time. And Vegas never really allowed that to happen. And kudos to them for that because it's tough. I mean, we've seen it. It happens in, uh, I think, I mean, yeah, the Heat did it. But I think typically you see it a lot in, in a lot of other pro sports. I was thinking maybe just hockey and football. But we've seen it in baseball, too. The team that's rolling the best when it comes to the playoffs, like a lot of times if I was in the NFL, like I wouldn't want to have to play one of those wild card teams early on that had to win three straight to get into the playoffs so some sort of thing like that because they got it rolling, man. They figured some shit out. You know, again, that whole hope thing, man. Hope's a dangerous thing. And I did see a little uh, a little video earlier with the Panthers coach talking after the game. And and he wasn't making excuses. It, the, the whole point of the video that this person was making was to say, like, hockey players are just different. And he was, someone asked a question and he said, well, I'll tell you about this one. They had a player that had, like, a broken, I don't know, I'm sure someone will correct me if I'm wrong, like a broken foot, a torn shoulder, he had passed concussion protocol, like three or four different serious injuries that would keep most people out of going to their day job, let alone playing in a hockey game, um, and was still out there on the ice playing at a high level. And he, he said, like, throughout the series, they had, you know, guys, they, they like three or four total broken bones, uh, several muscle, whether they were strains or tears. And I'm sure that the Golden Knights could probably say the same, you know. So, and he said, he's like, I'm not making any excuses for us. He's like, he was just, you know, more so giving kudos to his guys for their, their toughness and their effort and their commitment. And uh, I do think that's one thing. And we hear stories of players in other sports who have played sick or with broken bones and stuff like that. But I think that is something that is kind of unique to hockey. The toughness that those guys exhibit is off the charts. Like if you told me that outside of maybe like boxers, outside of combat sports, if you were like, all right, listen, like you have to fight one per, a person from one professional sport, like big time professional sport, the hockey player would be the the last person like on my list. Like and it would probably be one of the smallest, like physically smallest people, but it would be the last fucking person on my list, like guaranteed. Like I would take like a shortstop, 
<laughs> from one of the teams in the MLB, I think. Yeah, hockey is a unique sport because I think that the injuries that players have don't show themselves as much as they do in other sports for some reason. And I think the player you're referring to is Matthew Kachuk, who I believe is the Panthers' best player. I think this is his first full season. I believe they traded for him, and he kind of endeared himself to that crowd, and he played really hard, but you do hear a lot of stories like that. The Vegas Golden Knights, to me, are a story of all of these expansion teams and all of these franchises that are moving cities. I'm looking at you, Oakland Athletics. You can be successful in a very short amount of time. For them to be an expansion team five years ago, I think this is the end of their fifth season, and to win the Cup. And I think that their owner or general manager, one of those guys, correct me if I'm wrong, viewers, but they asked him how he felt about the franchise when they first were starting. And I think he said playoffs in three years, cup in five years, and it came to fruition. They went to the cup final their first year as an expansion team, which is incredible to me. And it just, to me, highlights how all these other franchises that have been around for so long, the Cleveland Browns, the Detroit Lions, franchises like that, how they can't win. And what is the difference between a Golden Knights franchise that has been consistently good for the most part and these other franchises that have had decades to get it right? So I think that it highlights a lot. And maybe one day we'll talk about what makes the Stanley Cup so amazing to me. It's my favorite trophy and all the superstition about it. But I think we need to move on to what is really the pressing matter of this week. And this is a low period in sports, but boy, I think you could agree. We got one hell of a story this week coming out of golf of all places. Yeah, absolutely. I think that caught literally every single person off guard, right? Because even the PGA players had that they found out the same way that the rest of us did was right through the through the news cycle. It was amazing. I was sitting actually right here during my day job and my phone lit up and it said the following the PGA and the DP World Tour and the Live Tour have all merged essentially. And there's so many layers to this, but I think the connection here to this and the next story we're going to talk about is the Saudi government. Now, I would say probably for the last few years, I can't remember exactly what year that reporter was killed by the Saudi government or quote unquote, allegedly, as people would like to say, but the Saudis have been sort of, they've had a bullseye on them in terms of, I think, societal morality and all of the world talk about many different things related to how they run their country. One thing their country has a lot of is what people like to call fuck you money. They certainly have a lot of it. And they have started to dabble and invest in other parts of the world. And sports has been a place that they've really been focusing on. And this live tour came out of the PGA having a lot of players and a lot of prominent players talking about the fact that really they had a monopoly and that players weren't getting paid enough for what they were putting out for the PGA. And the PGA, I believe, runs as a legal nonprofit organization. And at this point, they are merging with so much money that the future is interesting. But what has gotten us to this point is a lot of things. And I think that the media coverage of this, specifically the PGA being so outspoken about the morality issues that the Live Tour was providing, has made all of this so interesting. But I want to get just sort of your initial thoughts on this when you heard it, because it took me by surprise. But there's so many layers to it that we haven't even gotten close to scratching the surface on it. But just your initial thoughts when you heard the news. Well, first of all, I felt bad for those players in the PGA that were very loyal and outspoken in favor of the PGA and, and standing by them throughout all this. I really think they probably believed that they were just going to have to weather the storm and that the PGA would ultimately prevail. Now, granted, this were, what are we, a year? We're just a year into it, right? It was, yeah. I think so. 
obviously the PGA saw, saw the writing on the wall and felt there wasn't a path to do that. Um, so I did feel bad for like the Rory McIlroy's of the world. And you can take Tiger Woods out of the equation. That guy is going to get his get his bag either way. But like the Rory's of the world and people like that who turned the money down to stay in the PGA for a lot of moral reasons uh, for the most part. And yeah, there's tons of human rights issues we can talk about when it comes to the Saudi government. Uh, one that sticks out uh, in my mind, which of course, I can't recall if this was, uh, you know what, I know for a fact I'm wrong, so I'm just going to move on. <laughs> uh, anyways, plenty of human rights issues within the Saudi government that we can point a finger at. The problem I have with people as a whole having this big uprising about this specific issue in regards to Saudi government is those very people who are fired up about this. They're probably purchasing products that are produced by, owned by, or made by people in some, you know, one of these human rights violating countries in the Middle East or China or somewhere like that, you know, and on a daily basis, you know, one of their favorite things could be produced by producing a country that is is made by sla child slave labor that doesn't have women's rights or any of those things. But this is this is the, the hill they're going to die on is this specific situation. And I think that's kind of silly. And I think that's something that as a whole as a country that we do. And we're very hypocritical in that way as we, we pick and choose the things we want to be offended by or, or take, you know, take the moral high ground on. I mean, at the end of the day, if there's anything we've learned in the world of sports, it's that money wins. At the end of the day, all the time, money wins. And, and there's a story a little ways down the line here, um, if we get to it, that I think is, is pertains to that as well. I'm not, I don't have any like moral beef over the situation. I'm not surprised by it. Like I said, at the end of the day, that's all about the cash. I do feel bad about the players that, you know, kind of carried the torch for the PGA and, and feel like they were left out in the cold a little bit. And, and, and to talk about the PGA payment structure a little bit, I think people will be, the people that aren't informed will say like, what do you mean they don't get paid well? You know, because they're going to look at the Tigers of the world and the Phils and those guys that have, you know, are always winning and making this money. What people don't realize is these guys, for the most part, are on the hook to pay their own way in these tournaments, transportation, entry fees, everything else. And if you don't make the cut, you get nothing. Absolute debt zero. You don't get a thing. Now, sure, you might have a sponsor. You don't pay for your clubs, this and that. But, like, you're talking about paying, you know, to travel across the country to play for two days and all the expenses associated with that. You got to pay a caddy. And if you don't make the cut, you walk away with zero. Now, if you can get yourself up into the top 10 or 20 once or twice a year, you're probably covered as far as just living expenses and living comfortably. That's not a given by any means. You know, these top tier players, like they are the exception. Um, you know, you know, think about the, I don't know what we would call them, the, the lunch pail golfer, right? The guy that's that's grinding his way weekend to weekend, just trying to make ends meet and trying to make it. Now, is, is life going to improve for that guy under this merger? I don't know. I don't know the details. I hope so. I mean, I think it's a fair argument to poke some holes in the, the pay structure of the PGA. But overall, I don't have any major issues with this because for all the reasons I stated about the morality stuff, because there's plenty of other things we all partake in that could be traced back to, to somewhere or someone that is a dirtbag. 100% agree with you on that. And I believe I've been on, on record saying that somewhere in the podcasting slash YouTube space. But what is interesting about this is this all started because Greg Norman, who was a PGA champion at one point, decided to get in bed with the public fund of Saudi Arabia, which I believe has something like $650 billion in it or whatever. It's more money than the PGA will ever see at any point in their lifetime. And Live Golf decided that they were going to pump a lot of money into this. $2 billion they put in over the last, whatever, 12 to 16 months. And one of the things that they did to get a lot of these PGA Tour golfers to defect was guaranteed salaries. 
And they got some pretty big names. It was a lot of guys, as you talked about, guys that hadn't been making a lot of money on the tour. Going over there, they could make more money. I remember one weekend, the Live Golf Tour did, I think it was a three-day tournament. And that tournament, the purse for the winner was more than the entire purse of that four-day PGA Tour event on the same weekend. So there was a lot of money to be had there. And I think that the longer that this dispute went, the PGA was going to lose out. I mean, they were in legal battles because they suspended all the players that defected. Remember, they couldn't actually participate in all these tournaments. And then all of a sudden, the Masters comes around. And they're like, you know what? We kind of need some of these big names in here. Brooks Kepka, get on in here. And they all of a sudden were loosening up. I think the signs of this were coming up. We saw the writing on the wall starting to happen more and more as this came to fruition, ultimately. But so many other things were taking place as well. And you talked about Rory. Rory 100% is now the meat shield for the PGA. He was out there and was the most outspoken guy. There were other outspoken people, of course, but he was the most outspoken. They really used Rory McIlroy. The PGA used him. And he didn't find out this was happening until I think the night before. And a lot of people are saying that he's happy that there's peace. And I'm sure in some way he is because he's probably happy that he can get back to playing some damn golf. And how do we know that this didn't affect his play? How do we know this didn't affect a lot of other guys' play? I mean, it didn't affect a lot of the live guys on some of these tournaments because Brooks Kepka just won the PGA and he was getting, I think, a $150 million guaranteed contract from live. So he's set. He knows that he doesn't have to win these big tournaments in order to be set. He is set. And the PGA decided that they had to do this because they couldn't stand toe-to-toe financially with the Saudi government. And I think the moral conundrum here is now the Saudi government is part of this new conglomerate or whatever it is, right? Where you're taking the European tour, the PGA, and now live. And in theory, you're going to get all the best golfers at all of the events, and it's going to benefit the fans for the most part. Obviously, it'll benefit financially the golfers. But now you have the Saudi government or representatives of the PIF, as it's called, on this new council. And golf seems to now have sold its soul for money, right? And now they're set. And it's just so fascinating to me that it's coming from a, a sport that has been seen, I think the word I, I heard used was genteel, right? Golf is that sport that people find boring <laughs> and it's an old person's game. And you know what? They said, screw it. Let's get the blood money. No, that's exactly what they did. I mean... I don't blame them, I guess, right? We've talked about it before, adapt or die. And I think that they felt that their hand was forced and they had to do so. And if I correct me if I'm wrong, you're more of a fan than I am. But it, isn't there, isn't the Saudi government involved? There has been involved in the purchasing of the WWE? They were going to be. Now, the, the WWE has had a longstanding relationship with the Saudi government. They do one or two events there per year. I know I was a little bit pissed off about that because... They were taking money to have less of a quality product. Like if in the end the Saudis come in and this golf product is quality, fine, whatever. But I know that a lot of people's hangups were with Phil Mickelson and his comments about 9-11 because don't forget, the Saudis had a big connection to 9-11. And those of us who were alive during that period of time or at least old enough to remember the significance of that moment, especially if you had people that died during 9-11, this really hits home for a lot of those folks. And I can understand that discomfort 100%. But then I also look at our federal government, and this is not a political statement, it's just a statement of fact, but our, our federal government is still doing business and trading with the Saudi government. We haven't put them in their place, and I don't believe that it's on a sports league, especially a golf league, to make some moral statement that is not really gonna make a difference. 
Like if they don't get in bed with the Saudis, what is it really going to do? Is it really going to hurt the Saudis? Like I know people want golfers and sports people to make these big grandiose statements about morals and and this is what I believe. And you can do that, but in the end, what's it going to do? And also, are you the right person for this message? Like is golf the right person to make this message when they're going to find some other way to sell out? You say it all the time. Do not put sports people on a pedestal. And that includes golfers. Golfers are not immune to this. I mean, look at what happened with Tiger Woods. But I want to know from you, though, is do you think that this is going to make for a more interesting golf product because there is no more separation of all these different leagues? And do you think ultimately the golf will be better and everybody will forget about the moral conundrums? Yeah. One year from now, this will just be uh, water under the bridge or whatever other cliche you want to use. I don't. I think it's great for us as fans. Uh, the tournaments are going to be better because you have all the best players together, as you already said. And, and that's really what's what I think everyone wants. I think that's even what the players really want at the end of the day is, you know, it, they want to feel like if they win a tournament that they beat the best guys. You know, they don't want to be like, well, you won the PGA, but Phil wasn't there and Brooks wasn't there and DJ wasn't there. You know, they, they don't want that shit hanging over their heads. Um, we're anyone who's ever played anything, right? We're all competitive in some way. And we, when you win, it's nice to win, but it means more when you beat the best and, and you know, the best guys were there. So at the end of the day, this is going to be, I think that's what's best for the sport. I understand that people's feelings are hurt over it. And I'm not saying you're wrong. If you have a problem with it, I understand and completely respect all of the, the nuance to this and the reasons you could have a, a, a problem with it. It doesn't surprise me. It's what I felt. I feel like they had to do to save the PGA in a lot of ways. And I think moving forward, it's just going to be business as usual. And we'll never know the difference when it's all said and done. Yeah, I think a year from now, I just wrote that down, by the way, so we can revisit this new. We have a couple of these now. Two years from now, we're going to be visiting something else or we're going to be visiting Nikola Jokic and whether he's a failure. And a year from now, we're going to be asking and taking the pulse of whether people remember this. But I said that the Saudis were trying to get into sports and there's a lot of other stories. You talked about WWE very astutely. I know that they're taking over ownership of an English Premier League team. I think Newcastle United is the team that they now own. And one of the things that they've also been trying to do is get a lot of these aging stars in soccer. They signed Cristiano Ronaldo, who's made a crap ton of money up until now. And he's now making even more money to play in the Saudi League. And Lionel Messi, who I'm sure you're aware of, I know you're not a huge soccer guy, but he's the best player in the world. He's been the best player in the world for damn near a decade. I got to see him play in 2011. It was a magical experience just came off a World Cup victory for his home country. We both all, we love that stuff, right? And he's now in this position where he's at the tail end of his career. He's 36 years old. He's probably done with international play. He's probably done being the cornerstone of an organization. So he had a choice to make. And I believe the Saudis offered him something like $1.5 billion. Or he had the choice to come to America and go to MLS, which we both know is a fifth professional sports league here, but it's definitely a rung lower than the other four. And he decided to do the opposite of what Ronaldo did and what the PGA is doing. And he said no to the Saudis and decided to come to MLS. And this is great, I think, for American soccer. But some of the particulars that I want to read to you about what he turned down versus what he's actually going to get, because he's not going to go home empty handed. He is going to get $53 million per year. I just want you to understand that the next highest paid guy in MLS or what was the highest paid guy was making $8 million a year. So he's definitely going to have a good time of it. He's getting a percentage of the shirt sales for him. And 
He's going to get a stake in the Apple TV subscription market for MLS and ownership of a club. He's doing just fine. And that's crazy, isn't it? I mean, look at, uh, I mean, right, because David Beckham early on, right, came over and played the MLS. It's it's funny. You see what these franchises are willing to do to get the best players here. And this is kind of what I was alluding to when I said, like, money wins out. But obviously, I wasn't aware of the Saudi offer that was on the table that he passed up, which I'm sure would have been more money. I'll take it. But still, like, taking this bag of cash over what he was making uh, in the, you know, I'm assuming the Premier League. So, it, which is interesting, though. I'm surprised they don't pay better um, to retain the best players considering how much pride they have in the game. But, yeah, it's definitely interesting. It's good for American soccer, for sure, as far as uh, growing interest in the MLS. No doubt about that. Yeah. Now, Messi's trajectory was interesting because he didn't come from the Premier League. He actually played for Barcelona his whole career. And at the end, there were some financial things that took place in which Barcelona, the organization, couldn't actually afford him because of the actual financial rules that that league has in place. It's very interesting and different than what American sports traditionally has in terms of a salary cap. He spent the last two years playing in Paris for PSG and never really fit in there. But At the end of his career, he's looking for comfort, really, and not just financial comfort, but being able to play in a place where he can play the game that he loves. There's virtually no pressure, and he gets to obviously still make a bunch of money. Like, he probably would play for free here, but he doesn't have to. Like, they're going to pay him to come here. And one of the other things that happened that was fascinating is, would you believe that PSG fans booed him in his last game playing for them? Like, I can't even imagine a scenario in which we would do that in such a way here. Like, that's a very American reaction from fans to do something like that when he went there and he didn't he didn't really want to be there but he didn't play awful there he's at the tail end of his career it'd be like if New England Patriots fans booed Tom Brady in his last game I mean it just wouldn't happen but it's just interesting his trajectory and you mentioned David Beckham so Messi's getting the same deal that Beckham got now Beckham came over in 2007 played for the Los Angeles Galaxy at the time I think MLS had 13 teams and now there's 29 with a 30th on the way. So David Beckham coming here 100% grew the entire MLS, which is a great thing for the product as a whole. And at the time, he was given a deal that he could get in on a fixed price of ownership of a team for $25 million, and that team was Inter-Miami, which is the team that Messi is going to come play for. So a lot of connections here on this deal. And I think that ultimately it's going to be good for MLS. Now, it doesn't mean that MLS is going to become on the same level as these international leagues, but the more of these kinds of things that happen, it changes the trajectory. And what do we know is going to happen in 15 years when Messi has come here, he's going to own a team, right? How do we know that the next big star isn't going to be here? And how do we know that the MLS isn't going to all of a sudden become an actual legitimate league internationally and some of the best players could play there? And maybe that directly relates to the U.S. team becoming better because I know that's the one sport we can't get our foothold on internationally is soccer. At least on the men's side, right? Um, The women have had had some success. But it it is, uh, you say that Patriots fans would not have booed Tom Brady. If they knew for a fact that he was going to go play for a different team the next year when he played his last game. I think they would would have 100% booed him. You think so? Um, I think if it was publicly, like, signed, sealed, delivered, like, this is my last game, next year I will be playing for a different team. Um, if it was a, a fact that was publicly known, I think that they, they would have booed him for sure. Uh, like you said, it was a very American thing, right, um, for the, the Paris fans to do that to Messi. And, and I think part of that is they feel like he's probably selling out 
Um, he's taken more money to go play in an inferior league. And, um, and I'm sure that just in general, in the world of soccer, I'm sure that us as Americans and in our league are probably sort of frowned upon in a lot of ways that one for the quality and two, just, it's not, it's not our game. It's never been our game. You know, one thing, uh, we have a, one of the great American traditions is we take, we take what other people do well, and we usually screw it up. (laughs) And so, uh, in, in some way. And so I, I just think that there's just, especially in the world of soccer, I think there's some uh, some animosity just for the American game and, and the fact that he's leaving to come do that, especially being the best soccer player in the world, right? Even if he is on the back end of his career. Uh, so I can understand it. I'm not surprised by it. Like I said, I, I do think that uh, the Pats fans would have booed Brady out of the stadium. Here's the thing about the Messi situation. His contract was expiring at the end of this month. So either way, he was gone. And I think his lack of interest in coming back had to do with the fact that he wanted to be comfortable. And think about this, man. And this might be what ends up happening for a lot of stars now because there's another guy we're going to talk about in a minute. But if you're Lionel Messi, you've done everything there is to do in this sport. And we just talked about Jokic and how he feels that way probably. But what else does he have to prove? Nothing. So when you come up upon what am I going to do when soccer is not in the cards for me, I have to set myself up and my family up for comfort. And he's not from this country, right? So he's coming here and he's playing in a city that is very welcoming to people of his culture, right? Like it's a Spanish-speaking city in Miami, so he's going to be very comfortable there in terms of being able to speak his native language a lot more frequently than he would, say, playing in Denver or something like that. And now he's set himself up for being part of ownership. He can play on this team in which there are no expectations, right? When Tom Brady left for Tampa... Tampa Bay 100% went in to try to win a Super Bowl. They did. They met the goal. That's it. Inter-Miami really isn't looking for that. He's going to be playing on probably the worst team he's ever played on, but there's no expectations, right? He goes and tries to play for Barcelona again. They're going to want him to be that messy. They're going to want him to be 10 years ago messy, and he's not that kind of guy. And so few superstars get to go out on their own terms. And he's getting to go out on his own terms in such a lucrative way, being a part of the ownership process going forward. I think we're going to see more of that. I think you're going to see a guy like LeBron be part of an owner. I mean, he's obviously in ownership groups already for certain things, but afterward, trying to own an NBA franchise. And now Tom Brady is a part owner of the Las Vegas Raiders, which he was always rumored to go to. And so all of this is fascinating. But do you think that this is something that we'll see more of? And do you think that it's good to see players more involved in ownership and that maybe that will change the trajectory of how we envision or view this owners versus players relationship that has been tumultuous at best since the beginning of pro sports. I think it's good that we're seeing players stick around and get into ownership. Um, One, because what you said, I I think maybe it will help improve the the continuity between ownership and players. Uh, Two, I think that as a fan base, as a whole, we the the best players, our favorite players. We don't ever want to see them leave, right? We want to see them stay involved in some way, shape, or form. And so, for them to become an owner of a team, it's like a key. Because there's some sports fans out there that are just a fan of a player, right? There are some uh, fans that are just LeBron fans, and they were Cleveland Cavs fans when he was there. They were Heat fans when he was in Miami. Now they're Lakers fans because he's there. And let's say he gets ownership in the, God, who knows, the the Sacramento Kings. Like, they'll probably become a Sacramento Kings fan at that point in time, right? Um, so I do think it's a good thing. But here's a question. I'm glad you mentioned LeBron because I had this thought going through my head. 
what, how do you think American fans react? What are your thoughts? How would you react if LeBron came out and, you know, he's obviously at the end of his playing career. Um, at least it seems that way. He's arguably the best current player in the world, uh, or at least has been at times. If he were to say, all right, um, he announces he's going to go play for uh, a professional team in Spain or in China with a big bag of cash and a piece of ownership and all these other things. You know, how do you think America, I mean, knowing that the basketball league here in the U S is the premier league in the world. Um, if you were to leave to go play in an inferior league for more money and some of these ownership opportunities, which he could get that here. So, you know, I'll say that uh, before anyone wants to argue, but um, just, just live in fantasy land for a minute and say that that's something that, that were to happen. I think you would see fans react the same way that the folks in Paris did. I think you would have a sect of fans who would react that way. But I think what would end up happening in this country is that more people would be upset that he wasn't able to get into an ownership group here. And I think that the part of this that's interesting is LeBron brings all the racial stuff to the table. And there are not a lot of minority owners in any sport in this particular country. And so it would probably end up being an indictment on the lack of diversity in the ownership group than anything. And I'm not saying that that's right or wrong. I'm just saying that I think that that would be a huge part of it. I think the disappointment would be in professional sports because LeBron obviously has the basketball acumen and has the popularity to be able to be an owner. If Magic Johnson can do it and be a part of these ownership groups and LeBron wasn't able to and had to go overseas, I don't think that the the adversity would be for LeBron. I think it would be on the paradigm of sports in this country because how can he not be a part of it? I mean, LeBron is a businessman, right? Like LeBron has been setting himself up for a brand for, gosh, over a decade now. It's not about basketball for him anymore. He obviously is very good at it and wants to play. He's setting himself up for the future. And so I get what your point, though, is that I think that we would probably feel very similar if a guy that was beloved to us didn't stay here and tried to get some type of a deal going somewhere else. But what would make me the most sad is that we couldn't make it happen here. And I think you're going to see the door open a little bit. But when I was talking with my brother-in-law, he talked about owning a team. I think you might have even said it too. Like one guy can't own a team anymore. It's almost impossible. There has to be a team. And so I think more and more of these elite players are going to get in just a little bit to where guys like maybe Peyton Manning all of a sudden is part owner of a team. Now you got Tom Brady part owner of a team. I would not doubt one day if Patrick Mahomes is part owner of the Kansas City Chiefs. I think these are things you're going to see because these minority ownership uh, pieces of these ownership groups are becoming more and more prevalent because that's how people do it. There's not many people who can just write a check for the Washington Commanders for $6 billion. Maybe Jeff Bezos might be the only guy who can do it. So... I think it's interesting to watch and Brady might be the first domino of guys like him to now get in the door and we'll see what happens. Well, I think we would be remiss to not mention the fact that today these athletes, you know, these top athletes, the salary that they are making. And then if you add the endorsement deals they have on top of that, that they are more in a position to get themselves into some sort of an ownership group than athletes have ever been in history, right? Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, the top salaries in every single sport in this country are going up and up and up. And actually, my stat of the week is going to be salary related. So you're kind of teasing that just a little bit. But I think that you're onto something there. And I think that a lot of the best athletes in these sports are just going to continue to get richer and richer. But on the tail end of that, too, these teams are going to become more and more valuable. So 
I think that it's easier for players to get in the door because of how much more they're making. And I think that, again, the paradigm of having a group of people allows it to be so. Like Tom Brady is a minority owner of the Raiders. And ultimately, what's that going to do for the Raiders? Nothing. It's an investment for him. Although I do love this particular story because the rumor, especially swirling around Jimmy G after he had that surgery in the offseason, they can still release him this summer and not have to take a hit on the salary cap or something. I mean, Brady to the Raiders, do you believe it? Well, with Josh McDaniels, man, anything's possible, I guess. That'd be interesting for sure, right? The uh, I don't know what you, how you'd want to refer to Brady, you know, sort of the, the superhero of the NFL turned heel, right, if he goes to the Raiders. That'd be the storyline, wouldn't it? Oh, it would be amazing because he would now have not one, but two retirements that he reneged on. And for him to come back to play for the Raiders, which I think the Raiders today, and you can dispute this if you want, but maybe are the Raiders still a team that have that sort of like bad boy persona, even though they haven't been successful. And that was really where they got that image. But the black hole and the fans and all of that, I think the ghost of Al Davis still kind of follows this team just without the results. Is that fair? No, that's a good point. And I think, too, it, it you know, a lot of it now, granted, they ban- they bounced, you know, from Los Angeles to Oakland and, and all that stuff. But sort of they, they took on the, you know, that area, you know, whether they were in the Bay Area or in L.A., fans had more than one one team to choose from. And so it's like the folks that chose to be Raiders fans, it's like they were choosing the dark side, right? And so it's like I think that helped that build that persona a little bit. Now that they're in Vegas, and Vegas is all about flash and glamour, and it's way different, man. And I think you're right. I mean, I think that moving out of California to Vegas, new stadium, the passing of Al Davis, like all of those things that did make them, they kind of personified that bad boy image have sort of gone by the wayside a little bit. Yes, and now that the Golden Knights have won a championship, the Raiders are on the clock. OTW of the week. Every single week that the two of us are together, we do two little personal nuggets for you, the fans. And we always start off with Iceman stat of the week. Coach, are you ready? I could not be more ready. Let's hear it, my man. I have good news for you. I have two stats this particular week because there were just two two good ones, no pun intended, to pass up. But we talked about Lionel Messi. Now, we also talked about salaries as well. Lionel Messi is now one of 10 athletes in North America to sign a contract worth more than $50 million annually. Of those 10, six of them are from the NBA, three of them are from the NFL, and one of them is Lionel Messi. Do you know who the two tied for the highest annual salary are. I do not, my friend, but I have a feeling you're about to tell me. They are two NBA stars. They would be Devin Booker and Carl Anthony Towns. I guarantee you, if I gave you 100 guesses, you would not have gotten either of those names. Not a chance. So it tells you something when you talked about salaries. Six of them coming out of the NBA is pretty amazing, especially for a league that I don't think we realize is so lucrative. 
I mean, these max contracts, these guys are getting paid. So for Messi to just sort of slot in to that and make 53 million and be in the top 10 of all the annual salary guys, which by the way, two of the NFL guys, Jalen Hurts and Lamar Jackson, who just signed their contracts. So they are freshly minted $50 million athletes. The other stat of this week pertains to Oklahoma softball, because obviously we've talked a lot of softball. We talked about their dominance last week. This is directly from ESPN. I want to make sure that I get that part of it right. Oklahoma, their runs scored over the past three seasons. Oklahoma has scored 1,718 runs over the past three seasons. Again, this is per ESPN. Their opponents in that time frame have scored 241 runs. (laughs) (laughs) It's just laughable, man. All you can do is laugh at it. Yeah, I saw that stat last Friday. I looked at whenever I took the screenshot of it. And again, I thought it was a typo. I know that they're dominant. We both know they're dominant. Everybody knows that they're dominant. I mean, they won the championship with one loss and it was never really close. They were incredible. But that disparity, you talked about how hope springs eternal. Almost none of those teams had hope every time they went out there. Like just a bludgeoning to outscore your opponent by that many runs is just unfathomable dominance. No, it is. It's absolutely crazy. And and really, let's just the once you get a machine in place like that, the recruiting just sort of takes care of itself. But to to think about it, the fact that you're you're always probably getting the best players to manage that, right? I mean, I'm sure you're bringing some players in under the Alabama football has dealt with this for a long time, and Nick Saban's been masterful at it. Like, hey, you're going to come here, and for two years, you're not going to be on the field, okay? But once you are, you're going to be a Heisman Trophy contender, and then you're going to be a first round NFL draft pick and a millionaire. You just gotta, you just gotta buy your time. That's a tough, tough sell to an 18-year-old, right? That's got the world at their fingertips. I think that it, it, it's underrated sometimes what these dominant programs are able to do when it comes to things like recruiting and and managing the personalities that come along with all that talent. Yeah, and I think the paradigm of college recruiting in general, especially for the non-revenue generating sports like softball, I don't believe is one of those like high revenue generating sports. And I believe that that Oklahoma had their best player, their best pitcher transfer to another school. But yet, because they have been so dominant, the recruiting kind of takes care of itself. That's what happened at UConn, right? They became so good that everybody wanted to go there. It was a desirable place to go. Alabama is the same way. Even though Alabama hasn't been winning championships at the same clip and same frequency, players still want to go there as long as Nick Saban is there. And so Oklahoma has sort of established themselves at that point. Three a three-peat national championship, they can basically get any player that they want. And even if they lose those good players, there's going to be more to fill them, you know, to fill their spots. And that's an incredible place to be. So that stat is scary for those three years, but I think it's obvious that it's just the tip of the iceberg for that program. And it's really, really fascinating. However, we have one more thing to do. And it's time for Coach's Pick of the Week. Last week, he picked the Indiana State Sycamores to go to the College World Series, defeating the TCU Horn Frogs. And in typical Coach's Pick of the Week fashion, the Horn Frogs swept those Sycamores right out of the Super Regional. And Coach is now 2-7 and seven on the year on a six-game losing streak. Coach, it's time for you to redeem yourself. Please, please bless us with another Picketh of the Week. <clears throat> hear ye, hear ye. Come one, come all, and take a seat because uh, this is going to be a, a long-winded pick of the week because I have my official pick of the week and I have two 
honorable picks of the week. Let's start with the real one. So obviously, if the TCU Horned Frogs were good enough to overcome the Sycamores of Indiana State, that must mean that they are also good enough to win the entire College World Series. So oh, um, we are going to take, I'm taking it right now, man, because it's going to be it's going to be about two weeks before we're back here and it'll probably all be wrapped up by then. I'm taking the TCU Horned Frogs to win the College World Series. They're going to have to overcome a couple of pretty big hurdles to do so, but why not take them? And uh, before we wrap this up, I got a couple other little picks I want to take here. These, these are these are more less official picks, but I think they're worth stating. And we didn't get to this, but I want to mention this. I am picking the city of Las Vegas over the city of Oakland in the running for the uh, the the home of the athletics moving forward. We didn't get to elaborate much on the 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 reverse boycott that took place and the fans showing up. I got I understand the sentiment that Oakland fans have. But I have a little bone to pick with you, okay? So you guys don't show up. And I understand your team's not very good this year. But since the year of 2000, okay, and not to not to hijack stats here, but since the year of 2000 through 2022, so 22 years, they've made the playoffs 11 times. So they've made the playoffs 50% of the time, okay? There's a lot of franchises out there that would take that in a second, all right? And, and a few of those were runs. Like one time was four years straight they made it, then the other two times, Three years straight, they made it. Three years straight, they made it. They had one one-off in there. And so on top of that, you know, there was a rough period between 2007, 2011. They were only 500 one time. They went 81-81 in 2010, which was their best record in that stretch. But outside of that, they were very successful with playoff runs. And yeah, they're, they're a low, they're a small market team that gets plucked apart after a successful season. And their players go, you know, to the Yankees, to the Dodgers, to the Red Sox, whatever, just like the Marlins used to be. For a team that makes the playoffs half the time, you got to show up. And so if it weren't for the fans and their lack of loyalty, I'll say that, to the A's, I don't think this would even be happening. You can blame ownership all you want, but ownership has managed to have to put a successful team on the field um, at least half the time, which is more than a lot of other franchises can say. And my last pick of the week. I am taking the Iceman over Sooner Softball Nation, okay? Um, Sooner Softball Nation came after the Iceman pretty hot last week, but I'm telling you what, there's no guy that's more passionate about sports and about singing the praises of the Oklahoma Sooner softball team than the Iceman, and, and I, I'm really happy about what we did and what we talked about. They're a redundant bunch. We'll give them that, uh, and passionate even if misguided at times, but I will take the Iceman all day, every day, over Boomer Sooner. No doubt about that. Well, that last ping ain't going to matter because you're going to have the entire city of Oakland pitchforking in Peoria, Illinois, looking for your ass after what you just said about them. However, the TCU Horn Frogs, who you had losing last week to win the entirety of the College World Series, inexplicably, it's never going to happen, Coach. So let it be written. So let it be done, hopefully. Sometimes you just make my job so much harder than it ever has to be. <laughs> and we have reached the end of the show. I just want everybody, I'm looking at you. If you live in the city of Oakland, 703-718-6314 is the telephone number to call or text and let the coach know everything you want to let him know about what he just said about you. Actually, you can call to tell us literally anything. Coach, do you have any more parting hot takes before we get out of here? No hot takes uh, at this point in time. No, I love it. I love the banter that happens with the people that take the time to listen to us. 
I appreciate it, uh, whether it's positive, negative. Uh, the fact that you take time to listen, you take time to interact is awesome. That's why we do this, right? We do it. One, it's fun for us. We enjoy it. We enjoy spending the time together. But the interaction with, with the fans is fantastic. Uh, good, bad, or otherwise. And uh, no, man, overall, hope you have safe travels this weekend. Enjoy a nice Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Hope you get to to get out, whether it's play around the golf or you know hit the ball around the backyard with the kids, do a little grilling. Isn't it funny? Father's Day, we always cook for ourselves, right? But uh, I don't mind. I enjoy grilling, though. I'm down for it. So, no, uh, looking forward to another great week. Uh, it'll be a couple of weeks before I think we're back together because we're both going to be out of town and traveling a little bit. But I'm sure we'll have a boatload of hot takes. Uh, when we return. Oh, yeah. Coach and I are going to be taking a little bit of a time off. I'm going to be visiting my folks. You're going to be in Milwaukee with your family. I think we're going to convene in a couple of weeks. I will be on location in Charleston, South Carolina for a couple of weeks, but we're going to try to make some of those shows happen. In between, we have Reading the Defense, which is me and my brother-in-law, Mike. We just recorded some stuff. Hopefully that'll come out with you. And hopefully we're going to have a little bit more flashing leather next week as Jonesy's going to come up here and talk about some of his baseball hot takes that he has been had percolating over the last few weeks since we recorded with him last time. But do not forget, even if we even if we are not here as the main show, we're always going to have some type of content for you. So keep tuning on in. If you're watching on YouTube, we thank you. The subscriber number has gone up. And yeah, a lot of you from Boomer Sooner Nation have been those folks. And I have to say that last week we did get a lot of crap because we got a couple of stats wrong about that team. But I don't even think it's those people that are the ones that are buoying us. A lot of you from Sooner Nation came and had a lot of positive things to say to us. And I do want to say genuinely that we appreciate that. We appreciate the banter, regardless of whether it's positive or negative. Business will always continue for us, no matter what you say. We have a lot of fun doing this. We don't know everything. We don't think that we know everything. We just have a good time. And that's all that it's about. We're the every fan. You're the every fan. And that's who we're here for. If you're watching on YouTube, don't forget, like, and subscribe. It's not mandatory, but it does help a lot. And if you're listening on Apple and Spotify, don't forget to hit that follow button. Give us a few stars, all that kind of stuff. Support the Pub Time Podcast wherever it is you find your podcasts. All that mumbo jumbo. Matty S Media Network. Don't forget, mattysmedia.com. Support us. Buy our merch, all that good stuff. Coach, it's been a wonderful week. I hope that you also have a great Father's Day. We probably won't be here because the city of Oakland has burned this ship all the way to the studs. We'll see you next week, folks. Hope this finds you well and safe. This is Iceman and Coach. The opinions and viewpoints expressed on the Iceman and Coach Sports Show are those of Matt Freights, Brad Powell, and their guests, and not necessarily those of the Matty Ice Media Network. The Iceman and Coach Sports Show is exclusively owned by Matt Freights and Brad Powell and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network.